What's going on, everybody? And welcome back into the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We're back for J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And Tom, something happened for your team today. And I am very happy for you, buddy. Thank you. That was such a mature answer. Unexpectedly mature. Yeah, very. After what, what went on in private today. Yeah, so in full transparency to everybody, I sent him a text saying, "I'm congratulations, I'm very happy for you, and I'm hoping that all the goodwill that's happened with your teams, where the Knicks right now... And that's not John what he said, And then I said, and my, and my Giants and UConn seasons, we're all putting this together, I hope it goes all to the Yankees. And you took that a certain way, and it shows the level of maturity that you have. And now I'm protesting. I'm not Frenchy, saying anything. I got it. I was, Frenchy, I was hoping please, this was going to be please. good for all of us together, Give and you want nothing to do with it. I just came up with the analogy, okay? So it's as if... For how he's gaslighting us. Yeah. Well, it's as if I got into Harvard today, right? My dream school, I got into Harvard, and Sean... In this scenario, even though he's much older than me, is my little brother. And he's like, well, you know, the gym teacher today said I kicked the ball really good. So I did good, too. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Would that would that analogy be fitting? Yeah. And, and the worst part about <laughs> it is that, you know, the parents are probably going to congratulate little brother. For I know. And that's just. <sighs> I think the worst part about it is that <laughs> for four years we've been talking on this podcast about how shitty our teams are outside of the Yankees that you and I come together on that constantly disappoint us in October. And yes, I but Sean, momentum, but Sean, let me get you some good momentum. Let me get you to understand my as point. A team effort. Shut up for a second. <laughs> as a team effort, we were going to be keeping this going through the summer and into baseball season. But you have other thoughts. You want to Freshie, if you'll, jets and, and I'm happy for you. If you'll oh, let me elaborate just... as to why I was, I'm obviously not really upset. We're joking around here, but yeah, let me elaborate as to why people. I'm upset because you got your Yukon flowers. Of course. When they won the national championship and you got your Giants flowers when they beat the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs. I didn't turn around and say, yeah, and, and my Jets, too. I mean, look how the good Jets Garrett Wilson. Is the playoffs. Look, I mean, look how good Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner. They both got and rookie of the year. Flowers we're, too. Woohoo, the we're Jets doing... didn't win a playoff game. They didn't make it. Yeah, but but that's the thing. Well, I gave you your day. The, the Giants didn't trade for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron fucking Rodgers. You haven't played a game yet. I said congratulations. Congratulations. Let's keep riding this great momentum through the Yankees. You wanted nothing best, to do with it. Their best player thinks he's a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, I, I it's just, I gave you your flowers. I didn't have to interject my teams and my feelings into it. So why? Your why teams can't... and feelings had nothing to do with it when we talked those teams. And and exactly my point. Your teams and your feelings had nothing to do with it today when I'm the Jets saying, went and got Aaron hey, Rodgers. Let's carry the good momentum of a UConn Sweet 16. But run. I don't care about any of that. It's about me today, baby. It's about I me. Agree. And just like I it agree. wasn't, just like it wasn't about me when both of those things that we've already mentioned happened. So I didn't have have to interject and say well i hope that st john's can do great things and you know look at how st john's hadn't done anything but that's not my point you're still not understanding my point you're still not understanding it and my point was that you interjected your teams in there and don't steal my good juju just let me have my day no no this is fine all right it's all you today i'm gonna protest i'm out so congratulations okay and your rogers (laughs) 
And yeah, and all of that, and and I I really hope you win the Super Bowls. In all sincerity, you're probably gonna get like five or six primetime games. I love it. I it's a great day, and your I Knicks hope. are killing it. I'm happy for you. Seriously. Thank you. I appreciate that. And by the way, who led the pod last night? A football draft pod with congratulating your Knicks on a three-one lead. Me. Well, I think that was mostly to divert from what we would talk about with your Nets. No, that was all. It's a good point, French. Good point. Knicks. It's it's really good to have kind of like a lawyer, like my lawyer on this. Pod no, he's right the worst because if you <laughs> give him a chance to go against me, he's going to do it. I'm just saying I have a pretty good couples counselor if you need. No, we don't need a couples counselor. I'm hoping Sean can turn the page on this real quick. It's all good. No, it's I, all I'm good absolutely, uh, I'm turning the page real fast. I'm done. I, I'm not going to say or do anything about Well, then team. you're not. But that's the thing. Then you're not turning the page. Because if you were turning the page, you'd say, I'm over it. Let's break down this trade. I'm Let's shutting talk. the book. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm closing the notebook. Okay. It's all done. All right. So, well, so, Tom, let me ask you a question. Do you want me to mute Sean and we can just chat? He's not talking, so we, we <laughs> true. He him. muted himself. Yeah, in uh, Shefty's tweet, Rogers was wearing eight for a jersey number. What do you think about that? Uh, he's still wearing. I I believe he, by all accounts, he's actually going to wear eight. I I don't care either way. I he could wear he could wear number sixty nine, whatever number you want, as long as he's on the Jets. I don't care. Sean, do you want to talk about Aaron Rodgers stealing Daniel Jones' number? Or are we going to be <laughs> mature about this? <laughs> Well, Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback in New York, so he he deserves number eight. <laughs> and everybody should wear number eight green jerseys. But we don't know that yet. But if you want to do oh, recency bias, Danny Dimes stop had a better it. year than than uh, than Rodgers last year. Yeah, well, that's something. What'd you think about the uh, compensation for the trade? I mean, I've talked about this with Jets fans and non-Jets fans. Sean didn't make the comment that all the other ones made, thankfully, because Sean, although he has a very thick head, he has a good brain inside of it once you can get through to it, so he That's wouldn't make a comment like that. That's the compliment I've ever gotten. Um, yeah, it's mostly about the size of Sean's head. Sniper's dream over there. <laughs> Frenchy, you are welcome on the pod anytime, my friend. But everybody keeps texting me like, oh, well, two draft picks. That's hefty. I mean, can we do we like do these people not watch the NBA? It's it's we we move back two spots. Everybody relax. I understand the fact that we're probably going to have to give up one first round draft pick, which I'm okay with, because if everything goes the way it should, which is if you look at it last year. I was arguing this to another friend of the pod, Will Smith, because he was like, oh, you had to give up a first-round draft pick. If the Jets the Jets lost their last six games, if they had even the 20, I would say top uh, the 25th best quarterback in the league, the Jets would have made the playoffs last year, and we'd be talking about a very late first-round draft pick, which if we're using the rules of rounding like I did last time, is this basically you round it down to a second-round pick, which means you round it down to a third-round pick, right? That adds up. Yeah, it adds up. So for me, I'm okay with the compensation. And honestly, I'm hoping that the Jets kill it so much that they could sit Aaron Rodgers for the last like couple of games, and then maybe we just do a little gamesmanship and they end up with the second-round pick. That'd be pretty cool. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. That'd be a hell of a lead to sit him for 35%. Any games that we have a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter, just sit Rodgers down. 
but I also think this is kind of the value of doing the Elijah Moore trade because yeah, you just got it back. Even with what's given up, you know, you still you're still picking at 15, then going again at 43. It's a little sparse till day three, um, but then 112, 143, 170. Like there are still picks to be had, and it's not as if you're stuck with all low value picks like you know San Francisco or something. Exactly, you know, and. Uh, did you has anybody seen anything? Because I haven't been checking with the compensation. Are, are we are we absorbing that entire contract? I haven't seen the financial pieces come out yet. Yeah, that'll probably be another couple days. But I'm or, I'm I'm excited. Or we could pretend that we got them and talk about them. The pod will probably come out after they announce it. Do you want to make it up? I guess. I mean, I, I just all I'm saying is I thought it was a decent. Um, spot there now when we talk about the players that might have to be cut it could get a little bit difficult but yeah you know those are the sort of moves you make to bring in a hall of fame quarterback i like what they did see you just gotta kind of you know bullshit through it and you can take out the other parts that i said after it's announced (laughs) yeah no i'll i'll have to do some some reverse editing there but no I, i am excited and you know it's it's tough to to lose the draft picks and and do i feel like they could have <laughs> what'd you say i said i don't think it's that tough no it's I, not I that tough but do i think in in to everybody else's argument do i think that they could have held their feet to the fire for a little more yes but i do think it got to the point where like it's we just got to get this thing done mm-hmm. yeah, so. and also if, if you push it off well then if you're talking about you know we talked about this a little bit um the other night but if you keep pushing it off and then you're talking about future picks well the you know, rounds of those picks start getting a little higher the further away they have to go. So, yeah, exactly. I, I thought it was still pretty shrewd to them. And at 15, you know, I know we're going to start talking about some of these quarterbacks soon, but, you know, 15's not so far that one of these guys might not be in the, in the possibility for a trade. They can still move back, get a couple extra exactly. picks along the way. You know, there's there are so many more moves that are going to be made over the next. Maybe few we days. maybe we pick up Richardson and and we just have our our guy to learn under Rogers. Although we have so many, you know, the Jets I can't Zach, be. I what'd you Zach say? Wilson and Aaron Rodgers get along pretty well. Yeah, no but I don't need. <laughs> that's a scary quarterback room. I mean, honestly, with the amount of spite that Sean is is exerting right now, he might want to join that quarterback room. What do you think, French? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's a petty party. <laughs> Sean, are you still there? <laughs> I'm not listening to a single thing that you said. I, I've been out. I, I kept the phone on silent. Oh, I, I, well, I you answered pretty quick for a guy who uh, kept the phone on silent. I, you know, I, I would say that last <laughs> night somebody on this pod said this deal was getting done this week, but I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you credit because it's your day. So, oh my god, good job. Thank yeah, you. Fine, I'll just play into your spite. I'll just play into your pettiness and your spite. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for you. Great, so great big of you. So big yeah. of you. Yeah. Do you want to make any comments on the trade, or are we just going to continue the spite train? No, I'm done with the spite train. Uh, so, I've, I've made my I've made my point. Okay, so then give us so then give us your thoughts on the trade. Did you think it was too much? What's the most important position in all of sports? Starting pitcher. No. <laughs> Shortstop. No, of course Goalie. it's quarterback. <laughs> of course it's quarterback. Frenchie's a bad influence on me, Sean. I'm sorry. I apologize. Of course no, it's, it's quarterback. Fine. I love it. Okay, <laughs> so then why in God's name is it a bad trade for maybe giving up a little bit more? 
Couldn't, couldn't be with you. 100%. Seriously, it's anybody, honestly, who in the fuck is saying that this is a bad trade? The Jets have zeroed in on Rodgers for better or worse this entire time. This was their guy. They got it done. I give the Packers credit. I felt like they came away with this trade pretty well instead of just giving him up for God knows for sure. what. So good on them. This might turn into a first, but the Jets are in a one to two year window. I think this trade was done with the Jets knowing he's there for more than one year. Maybe not yeah, three, just, maybe just two, but whatever that draft pick turns out to be, it's not going to be anything really substantial. It's a great deal for the Jets. They got their guy. Anytime you get your guy, that's what matters. And I think Joe Douglas is really good at trades. And frankly, I'll, I'll say this too, a little credit to Gutenkunst out there because to still be to have a guy say this is the team I'm going to play for and still be able to get what he got. I mean, he, he didn't have to walk away with scraps. He still did decently well for the team he's gotten with as few options as they had. You know, I I think there's winners all around. It's I hope so. Up. The very this rare win-win. Yeah. We talked about this though, like Frenchie. Honestly, Tom and I throughout this entire process were just mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, the Jets had made the clear decision this was the route they were going yep so now every sign every turn that was the sign passing up on on car passing up on jimmy g um not even being mentioned in the same breath as lamar jackson every single move they've made it was rogers or basically i kill myself this is why i think we have to deal with like so many people that just shouldn't be commenting on sports in all honesty because there's so many people out there where if the Jets don't succeed with him, they're going to be like, oh, fuck them. You know, like, honestly, like, haha, they shouldn't they should have went for Lamar. You're so going stupid. for a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. Same reason yeah. why it's the it's, same thing as when people insult the Nets for the move that they made. I hate to rub salt in the womb, but it's it's a legitimate example here. All, all, whatever amount of every other NBA team would have done the same thing. Of you course. gotta dare to be great in in professional sports. You don't win without great players. Here, here. You got a great player, and we'll see how it goes. I think at the end of the day, both parties, you know, came together and got what they wanted out of it, and mm-hmm. the deal was going to be done before the draft. I had no doubt because there was too much contingent upon. They wanted to make those picks and who was going to get what in this year's draft and how it was 24 into Mm -hmm. 2024 into 2025, perhaps like there was too much to figure out and they got it done. I'm really happy for you, man. Seriously. All kidding aside, we're performative on this podcast. I was seriously happy. I called my dad, told him I was happy for him. He's a Nick fan, as you guys know. So he's having a great run right now. It's awesome for New York sports right now. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Fired up. I think Sean got those screwed up just because – I think he's a Nets fan because his television was stuck on the Yes Network. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and my dad, of all his teams, made the decision that he was not going to like be a diehard NBA guy mm. when he had kids. So he's like, it's Yankee baseball, it's Jets football, and UConn basketball, and – yeah, you know, whatever about the NBA. Yeah, exactly. That works. And the flip side, you talk about these Arizona Cardinal uniforms that they've got now. Oh, they're awful. I mean, they I haven't like... seen them, so I'm going to Google them as you talk about them. Yeah, please do, because they look like the cast-offs from Color Rush years. They, they look, look like, like OU, you said, right? Yeah, they look like 
Oh, the University of Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. They look like they're like extra jerseys. By the way, did you guys see... I, this is even. This might even be worse than the uniforms, and it, it really does look like Oklahoma. It looks like, it looks right. like, uh, what's his face went back to Oklahoma. Uh, what's his <laughs> name? God damn it, Kyler Murray. Kingsbury. No, Kyler Murray. Did you guys see that Kyler Murray, who did not win a national championship at Oklahoma, got a statue? Yes. I would did. be. I would be beside myself as an Oklahoma fan. I would be angrier than Sean was earlier when I called him out. I would be beside like what kind of what kind of program are we trying to to have here where we're just giving out participation awards basically. They have oh, a rich history too. It really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they won a national championship with Bob Stoops not too long ago, did they not? Yeah, and Sam Bradford didn't get shit. He won a Heisman, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, but but Bradford does have a statue, as does Baker. Just, I was just gonna say Baker has to, right? Yeah, um, all the uh, all the Heisman winners at Oklahoma. Oh, so this isn't this isn't a new thing. It's just the it's new to me. Yeah. Uh, well, still, regardless, that's that's a joke, and I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I know my boy Caleb went there to start his career before he entered the transfer portal. Thank God he got out of there because my USC Trojans they would not be erecting statues for anybody short of a national title. Oh, short? Is that meant to be a pun? <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know who that'd even be a pun towards. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the head coach, the GM, everybody went with him. What a, what a nice little break from draft prep. Did Lincoln, I, did Lincoln Riley get a statue? Uh, no, he, he didn't do shit. What'd they win? Come on, Tom, do your rants again. About <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, why? I don't know. Like, All I what would he have won? He had... I don't know. He recruited a bunch of Heisman winners. That's got to be something. They yeah, got he's statues. the one who got all those statues there. Yeah. Except for Bradford. You're not wrong. Fuck you, Frenchie. <laughs> I said you're not wrong. <laughs> not before that, you wrong. didn't. All right. We've done enough deliberating. Tom, it's a great day for you. I seriously am happy for you. Thank you. All right. Let's move in to the sexy positions, as Tom likes to call them. Am I wrong, though? Of course there's the sexy ones. You're not wrong. Wide receiver, running back, quarterback. Frenchie, you want to start outside in again tonight for the pod? Where do you want to do? Oh, I always start with your mother. Nice. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll go wide and then down to the back, to the left, all that. Um. Don't so, get lost. Who, what now? <laughs> what about naming our kids Soda? Um, yeah, so wide receivers. <clears throat> this year is deep, and the high-end talent is sparse. Uh, good luck. Good luck to all those teams. If, if you were the sort of team drafting and you really needed a a wide receiver because your wide receiver room is full of nobodies. This, this is not the year for you, but it's these sort of years though, that we always see people show out and, you know, everybody's still getting picked decently high. There are just aren't any of the top tier guys that we've really become accustomed to, you know, wait for Marvin Harrison next year. If that's what they did. Um, so, you know, I, we have no, for my list, there are no top 10 players out the wide receiver position. Um, and my list shook out really differently than how I felt coming out of the season. Um, 
coming out of the season, I had some guys that I really liked and some who I thought were really boring. And, you know, the more you really break down the tape, things sort of shift around. So um, probably the biggest change is me bringing this guy up to number one, and my former number one at falling as far as we did. Um, and that's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Really boring game. Um, and that is not meant to be an insult, despite it very much sounding like one. Um, but what he does is the paper cuts. We're talking about someone built in the ilk of, uh, you know, Keenan is the easiest one. For me, the uh, comp that I like best from him, which came from Pro Football Focus, uh, was Julian Edelman, mm. where the lack of speed even shows up. You know, it's not someone who just like tested weirdly, but you know, they no like he, he, for wide receivers, he's he's slow, but what he's really great at is getting to open spaces. He's the best in the draft at getting separation. He has an exceptional feel for the game. However, he doesn't have that same sort of big playability. You know, he can hit you a bit on the slot, at, you know, through the slot and the seam. You know, he can break through in a corner, sluggo, get people to bite. But it's all about getting someone to bite and not just winning purely off of the trade from the talent. But he does all those paper cuts. The other thing they have to check out is his hamstring because his hamstring was the sort of uh, – he, he has a Kadarius Tony hamstring. where Gene Carlos Stanton. Every other week it was, oh, he's about to come back. No, he's not. Something held up. Whoop. Um, really his tape was all from 2021. I think he had five catches and three games the last, um, in 2022. It seems that he's checking out with everybody, um, through the rumor mill, it appears that he's the only one in the, that NFL scouts have as a consistent first grade cross teams. I think he also has the sort of game that's going to be able to fit into most teams needs. Um, as much as we value and need to have the, big play receivers there's an even greater need for getting a third and six um you know all those smaller pieces that really add up he's not going to have you know four catches for 150 yards but he'll have a lot of games at 11 catches for 110 um so he's someone he also has some really good make you miss plays he's solid for his yards after catch again he's not going to break away from teams but what he's going to be able to do is break tackles and be able to get those extra yards. The only other thing I'd say is he really seems like he's been a slot-only player, and given the sort of comps that I'm coming through with in terms of you know, Julian Edelman and more slot-only skill-over-speed guys, he's going to need to stay in the slot, but he also needs to get his strength up just for run blocking. Otherwise, you're going to have to keep motioning him out wide, and it's going to be a pretty easy call for teams when they know what's coming. With the hamstring issue, is that something that raised any concerns in terms of his willingness to play? Like, do you think this could have been a case where he was, you know, he knew he was a potential first-round pick and didn't want to further damage the injury? Or was it like the Kadarius Tony recurring injury, nobody really knows what's going on? Totally possible. Um, I... I it hasn't come out that that's been a question for teams, but we always see a couple people fall hard on draft night and maybe it's going to come out that that's what teams are thinking, but to play as little as he did last year, despite his team having everything together for a legitimate championship run. Um, 
you know, it, it looks, it, it doesn't look the best for him. It's going to be something you really got to sit down with your medical team and figure it out because as high as teams have been talking about drafting him and, you know, he's usually the first one knocked somewhere in the teens. Um, that's a lot of money and a lot of pressure on someone who you either have to question in terms of his will or his legs. Um, and that's not a great thing to have to do. The comp to me is scary because a lot of these slot guys, I understand their value and how they pop off, but I mean, you don't see them going in the first round a lot. Like Julian Edelman, for example, was an un- I think he was an undrafted free agent as a quarterback yeah. that got converted to wide receiver for New England. Um, you know, some of your other guys, like where did like a Randall Cobb go or a Cole Beasley, some of those guys, it just feels like this guy would be an amazing value if you got him in like the fourth round or if you got him as an undrafted guy somewhere there, it just feels like a crazy reach for me this early on in the draft. And that's, and that's not even talking about the fact that he didn't play basically all of last season and he has, uh, a question mark at his hamstring, whether it's Sean's theory where he was playing possum or he's actually got legit injuries. Yeah, and that was just a question on my part. Of I course. certainly didn't want to like it's a great theory or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm with you on all of it. Again, this is a scary class to be looking for a wide receiver in. But for me, he's someone who has some elite traits in his quickness, his agility, um, and those moves. He has a clear role. Um, and as long as those other pieces are considered and you feel comfortable with them, you know, I think he's someone who can find a really good role. I think he's got the highest floor of this receiver class. Doesn't have the highest ceiling, but this is a draft with a lot of low floors. So to be able to get somebody as the first receiver taken potentially, who's going to be able to play as a major contributor for you, um, I think is a pretty good thing to be able to have, despite the fact that there are, you know, those concerns that you have to work out. And teams are going to have to do their diligence on him, you know, as much as any player that we've seen. But this, again, this group isn't great. I wouldn't feel great about being a team in need of a receiver. And with all of them, I think you have to be able to say that you know what their role is going to be, how your team's going to be able to use them. And hopefully it comes with a little bit of balance. A team like Tennessee, where you have um, so much inconsistency in the passing game, maybe what they need isn't that big play threat. They need someone who can do the consistent things to make it easy on their quarterback. And he also has relatively sure hands. He's a point under 6% in terms of a drop rate. And, well, he's actually only at 5.2 for his whole career, but... In the year that he, you know, really blew up in 2021, it was uh, 5.9% as opposed to the league average, which is a little closer to 8. And for the record, the a lot of the guys we have coming up have some um, drop rates that are going to make a lot of us squeamish. Last question on Smith and Jeeba. You know, you had, we had four wide receivers last year go from 8 to 12, including Garrett Wilson, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Drake London went first at number eight to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Is there any world in which Smith and Jiba gets up to this area? Like, could you see a team reaching for him at eight, nine, or ten? Or is that too high for you? I wouldn't. 
could I see a team doing it? Yeah, we see dumb GMs every day. And someone's going to have a recording of me calling a GM dumb for taking him when he's in the Hall of Fame one day. <laughs> but, but, but that's usually how it goes, you know? Um, it would be too rich for my blood to take him that high. Um, I think that someone very well could do it. The Raiders at seven, I mean, they're a team who is built offenses, you know, with McDaniels around that slot position as a high-volume guy. Pairing him with Devontae and Jacoby could make things really easy for Jimmy G. Maybe Chicago, what they're really looking for is someone who's going to be able to lighten the passing load there. And then Darnell Mooney and the rest of the crew can go back to just trying to make the big plays for him. Houston, if they go quarterback at two, which the rumors are really suggesting they won't. You know, Green Bay, they seem to have some of the um, more explosive plays. Maybe they want to give Jordan Love someone who can be more of a security blanket. I, the the You can talk yourself into these guys, but they still have a lot of questions that need to be thoroughly vetted in meetings and interviews, in testing, and most importantly, in medical rooms. And that's the sort of thing we don't get to do, but... Off the tape, what he has is the most clear path to success of any of these receivers. Tom, I don't know how you feel, but when he was naming off those prospective teams, the Raiders really make sense to me. He seems like the perfect kind of wide receiver for Garoppolo, who's super accurate on those intermediate routes. He does, and the Raiders are the team to the Raiders are the classic team to reach on a guy that shouldn't be drafted where he is. I mean, granted, Al Davis would roll in his grave watching his team take a receiver who runs a 4-6. Yeah. But, He's no Darius Hayward Bay. But. Uh, exactly. So, you know, maybe it's not so bad that he rolls. Um, <laughs> Al Davis, much respect. All-timer, but, you know, so off of it there. His age started showing up in the draft room. Uh, wow. My number two, my number two, I didn't expect You're firing. I didn't know Al Davis was going to come under fire like this today, but here we are. He can't even defend himself. He's dead. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's life. I hearken back to the time where Sean started talking shit about David Stern, thinking it was Adam yeah, Silver. that was bad. <laughs> you know, I give I give Tom a lot of shit for names he got wrong, and usually his are really not all that terrible. He just <laughs> continues to do it on the same pod, which I find amazing. Like, <laughs> That's you don't what makes it, it the terrible. First, second or third time. But when <laughs> yeah. I when I when I mentioned David Stern referring to Adam Silver, that was not a proud moment for me. It happens. You know, we all have our regrets. Now, an before before you move on to the next guy, just to give the listener some perspective. Last year, I feel like, was an all-timer um, oh, yeah. for wide receivers, or at least it looks You're like it. Four, yes. I mean, I, obviously, it's still early, but last year was an amazing draft for for wide receivers. I mean, you even have the, the wide receiver in Green Bay, Watson, and Burks in Tennessee, who went a little bit later in the draft, not to mention the guys earlier on, like Sean mentioned, a little bit earlier in London and Garrett Wilson, and I think I'm forgetting a guy, but they're in there too. Where the hell would would all of those guys, including Watson and Burks, rank ahead of whatever Olave this guy? Olave and Jamison Williams were the other two, by the way. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, would every, basically every single guy I named rank if he was in last year's draft rank ahead of? I'm going to say Jackson Smith. I don't even want to try and pronounce that other name. Jigbuck. Um, so, just in terms of draft grades, 
and he would have been, if I have this here, probably fifth mm. on the list. I I had him. I had higher grades on Williams, Olave, Wilson, and London. And now after a rookie season, I mean, Watson looked amazing, and Burks before he got hurt looked great too. Yeah, I mean, Burks definitely was. He was coming on as they were trying to figure out the that whole offense was in shambles, but. Watson played really well for him. Um, you know, Wandale afterwards, another one who's dealing with injuries, but John Mechie, he's dealing with cancer. Uh, George Pickens, second round, played great. Sky Moore for the Chiefs, another one who looked pretty Jahan good. Jahan Dotson for Washington. Yeah, he had some big What games. a year. He was a first-rounder, I think I passed through. Yeah, but yeah. It, just in terms of it, – it's hard for me to look at what they did this past year and be like, oh, it's – Smith and Jigba going to be better than that. Um, looking back at the grades I had last year, Smith and Jigba would be the number five receiver if he were in that draft class. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just thinking that if anybody takes him in the first round, it just feels like a reach for me. And that's not a terrible take. And, and this is why I genuinely asked the question, are we going to have more tight ends than receivers in this first round? I still got to look for that bet. That's my homework it's assignment. It's entirely possible. Uh, you know, the receivers have a lot more questions. Um, but as opposed to Smith and Jigba, I think the others uh, the next year are going to offer a lot more explosive plays to come out of this. Um, my number two guy is Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Um, he spent his whole time there. And there's, according to Peter King, there are a lot of voices in the league who applaud the fact that he didn't force a transfer or leave and he wanted to stay at the same place his whole career despite the, you know, continued losing that he had to be a part of with it. Um, but he was the offense and couldn't be stopped. He excels against zone coverage. Um, by pro football focuses metrics, his grade against man defense was much worse, but I tote that to playing it far fewer. So there are... It are not as many opportunities as otherwise, but he's got excellent separation skills, the sort of miss you in a phone booth type that you want to see. Um, but he's difficult. If you get hands on him, he's going to move really small uh, catch radius. And one of the other pieces with him is at the top of his routes. He doesn't always do a great job of selling them. What I mean by that is getting to the corners to bite. He really just beats people with his, speed and agility he gets the spots quicker than they do and admirable traits well worth it but um you know once you get to the next level that's another area that he can develop but as we always love to go back to some of these drop numbers and get ready for him uh his drop percentage is uh downright engramous at uh 10.8 percent for his career and uh 10.3 percent last year so he's someone where you're going to get a lot more explosive plays. I mean, he's got real, real speed. Um, but you have to deal with the drafts. He needs to get a little bit more muscle so he's getting pushed off his routes less. He should do well in the sort of plays where you're going to manufacture touches for him. I think if he hits, the player he looks like most would be Steve Smith. But that's a lot of muscle that he's going to have to put on to be able to make that comp work. But otherwise, in terms of the stature, the quickness, and the sort of power that he's able to use coming out of his breaks, 
um, are somewhat reminiscent. And he's someone who I think is going to have to start much of his career getting some of those manufactured pieces and really shooting for the big plays while he's developing into a more full player. Well, it's good to know that his ceiling is a Hall of Famer. Well, I mean, everyone's ceiling is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> True. But kind of my point from uh, the other day when we were talking a little bit, the question is less about, um, you know, how's, how do all the facets of his game work it's more about when everything, when his game hits, what does it look like? And, um, you know, that's the sort of player that it looks like. Also, despite the fact that he's not the strongest player, I mean, the man plays with a ton of fire and passion, um, which is all, he'll be immediately endeared by his team. He's just got to get the sort of muscle that's going to be able to back the passion up, uh, you know, unlike Dylan Brooks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Number three, I got Jordan Addison. Um, he's up there with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigma in terms of the route running abilities, but he's uh, he doesn't have as elite quickness, and he doesn't have some of the other pieces that you see, especially that sense in zone. I think he played a lot better last year at Pittsburgh than he did in uh, USC. In Pittsburgh, he also got a lot more time in the slot, whereas at USC, he was more used out wide and put in that Lincoln-Riley system that, despite being very conducive for quarterbacks, doesn't always give receivers the opportunity to continue to develop and show what they can do at their best. Um, last year, for Sean's sake, 3.3% drop rate, um, and that's a pretty big drop from what he had the previous year at 9.9%, but we love to see guys improve, um, despite the fact that he had some other numbers that um, went down a bit in terms of things like uh, missed tackles, force, and other pieces like that. Um, 59 receptions this past year instead of the 100 that he had before, but he also dealt with some injuries in the middle of the season. So all of these pieces kind of adjust along. Uh, he played a lot better out of the slot. So, again, he's rail thin. Uh, he's built a lot like Devontae Smith but he doesn't have Smith's ability in the air and he's not as fast as what Devontae Smith was. So in terms of the sort of player you're getting, you know, that's it. He's got an excellent wiggle. He's really good after the catch in terms of his yak, but he's really light. He can get pushed around and he doesn't win in the air very well, primarily a slot guy, but I think he'd be able to, um, you know, keep moving outside as his, <clears throat> As his play strength goes up, <clears throat> excuse me, we'd hope that he's able to do a little bit more outside, given the fact that, you know, other than some of the like weight elements, he is pretty well suited for that sort of spot. He's not too small, um, you know, 5'11 or whatever. It's the 170 pounds that's a little bit small. But, um, you know, he tested pretty mediocre. It didn't seem like he was. Um, we expected a little bit more out of him, but he's got a great cut, especially at his first cut. His foot quickness is great, um, and he's got a lot of really good technical savvy to him. Um, similar to Smith and Jigba, but without some of the um, feel and zone, and uh, you know, without having this past year 
you know, really demonstrating what he can do. They had Addison running so many wide, you know, bubble screens and quick hitters out there to have him do things after the catch instead of letting him win with his route running. I don't know if he'd be going a little higher, if he could have shown more if he stayed a pit, but this is just the sort of things that, um, you know, we're not sure that he's going to be able to do. Again, um, the biggest piece for both of them to me is their inability to go um, get the ball deep, but Addison can also get pushed around a lot more. Um, number four guy, just to wrap up the top four, because I think these four are pretty consistent. It's just the order you have them. But my fourth guy here is Quentin Johnson. Um, coming out of the season where I was really sitting down with tape, um, Quentin Johnson was my top receiver. But, you know, this is why we have to look at the tape a little bit deeper instead of just watching the game, you know. Um, I'll start with some of the good. And the good is that he is downright unique in terms of his size and his ability after the catch. He plays a slot-like game for someone who's 6'3", 210. And he's able to use that side in terms of stiff arms. He plays the game where it looks really easy. It looks like he has some deep speed, but it doesn't always... He he takes a while to get going. Um, He's got a good wingspan, a lot of good measurements, 95 percentile in the vertical. He also had a 134-inch broad jump, which is an absurd amount of explosion. But his three-cone, where we're looking to see some of that agility show up, was in the bottom five percentile of the combine um, at, at the wide receiver position, of course. But, you know, 40 right or just above 4-5, all these sorts of pieces. And it kind of looks at what you see. So he's another one who has sloppy hands, um, a lot of concentration drops, but also a lot of drops that come from him not using his hands. He's a body catcher if there has ever been a body catcher. He, and this to me is the most frustrating part of his games. He's six foot three. He's bigger than almost every corner he plays. Aside from Julius Prince out of Kansas State, probably. And he has a 34.8% contested catch rate. On 223 contested catches, he only caught eight. And at that size, with a vertical jump over 40 inches, again, the, the top 5%, he's not able to come down with contested catch balls. And the reason why? Because when he goes up, he's still trying to catch the ball into his chest. And even some of the little pop passes when he's coming through on a jet sweep, he'll double grip those just to make sure that he has it as if he's unsure that the ball is in his hands and he needs to make those extra moves. Now, there's a ton of talent that there is to work with. And he's one of the few players that coming into the draft, you know, is a real outside receiver. This draft is made up of short guys and slot guys and people like that, despite Oh, let me add this, though. Zay Flowers played most of his career at 5'9 as the Z and the X receiver. He spent almost all of his time on the outside. I think he'll be able to go there in the NFL, too, and that's part of the Steve Smith aura with it. But um, Quentin Johnson is probably the first guy that you think of in in the draft in terms of who's that big body on the outside. He's the best one that's in this draft. 
despite the fact that he's basket catching everything that leads to a lot of drops. I think it's 11.8% for the drops. Let me double check. Yep. 11.8%. Um, and I, I loved his tape coming out because man, he, he bullied Michigan in that playoff game. Um, and so many times throughout the year, he played really well. Um, one of his more interesting games was against Kansas state in which he was up against Julius Brents, who's probably going to be a day two pick at corner, six three six four guy out of Kansas State, and he had a couple plays where he just blasted past him, had some really nice long receptions, but he also had some bad concentration drops, and he had some plays where the ball's going through, and because he's hitting it in his chest to try and catch it, Brents is able to get an arm in and be able to knock it out. So. There's a lot that you're going to have to deal with, and you're going to have to take some of the bad with the good, especially as you're helping him develop and um, do some of these things better. But the real question is about his hands and how he uses them to catch the ball. If that's habit, if that's instinct, is that something that's going to be teachable? Um, you got to work with your coach and really coaches and really make sure that that's something you got. I mean, and you you better have a top tier wide receiver coach if you're bringing him in. But, um, you know, being so being bigger than everyone you're playing with and still so mediocre with the ball up in the air is it, to me, that's a tough thing to get through. And teams are going to have to do a lot of work finding out if that's mentality, if that's poor coaching at TCU, which is entirely possible, especially on some of the shorter routes. But in terms of, not being able to high point the ball like that, that's that's a pretty bright red flag for someone who's the bigger and stronger player against almost everyone he's against. I have a question regarding that. So yeah. when you talk receivers, we've been fortunate enough to have you on the pod for several years now. And, and very fortunate. CD Lamb <laughs> is a guy very fortunate, probably by far the most fortunate of any of any pod. Um, <laughs> But, you know, C.D. Lamb comes to mind where I remember you were evaluating him out of Oklahoma. And, you know, you said he loves the contested catch. Mm -hmm. But one of your complaints was that he wasn't a great enough route runner. He just used his ability to make contested 50-50 ball catches. Yep. What, as an evaluator, when you're looking at wide receiver tape, drives you more insane? The guy that gets lazy on the routes because he knows he can win the 50-50 ball? or the guy that runs the great routes but gets lazy trying to catch the ball with his chest? Or is it kind of the same, just two different just two different critiques? I think that they're similar in terms of my dislike for some of those things. The other piece with Lamb was his um, great agility with all of that as well. But the thing I will say is that the problem of lazy route running and not doing things all the time, I feel, and this is me outside watching this and just analyzing players who have gone to the league and what happens with them. I think that the lazy route running with all the skills and seeing those skills pop when you're right is an easier fix than reteaching someone how to catch a football. Okay. And that's, and that's what you have to do with Johnston. You have to teach him how to catch a football with his hands. Well, you know, the thing that I always think of is like those those interceptions, right, that go on the quarterback's ledger. 
mm-hmm. where how many of them hit the receiver right between the numbers pop up and gets picked. Oh, the Eli Manning. Him, I can think of a couple others that are just like, you know, you did everything right, but these guys are trying to make body catches. And in the NFL, those balls that might go incomplete in college are being picked off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, now, and I will say this too, Duggan did not always lead uh, Johnson well, and he does a good job at adjusting to the ball when he's under when he's underneath it. The problem is when he has to go up and make a play in a contested situation. He's someone who plays a lot smaller than he is. And, again, it's going to be on teams to figure out what exactly that means for them. But it's questionable. Um, you know, is it a question of toughness? I don't know. I, I sort of doubt it. I really think it's just the way that um, he tries to catch the ball because he's uncomfortable using his hands for it. Um, and the other thing that I will say with – um, CD is CD was able to do um, a lot of things at different levels, and while Johnston was able to do that in college, I question whether you're really going to be able to use him on jet sweeps and things like that uh, in the pros because he struggled getting the corner there and really was able to win on those plays by using his size to outmuscle some slot corners. Um, that's going to be a lot more difficult when we get to the pros. And he has to do more than just a cutting up and might have to actually shake a couple guys off. Um, you know, that his shuttle time, his three cone, both of those showed up really poorly. And those are indicators of agility and your ability to make those quick moves and the sorts of things that you have to in those situations. I still think you'd be able to use him more on a couple wide receiver screens, but is that how you're going to – are you going to spend a first-round pick on a guy who you have to manufacture plays for at six foot three, which means that you have to have smaller receivers blocked for him and hope that he's able to use his size and his length to make a couple guys miss and go off of that as he continues to adjust to the pro game? Um, now, granted, he had 19 um, – force missed tackles last year, which is a pretty good number, and those numbers do typically translate. Uh, but in terms of I, again, I, I don't mean to sound so negative about all these guys, because I think they're all round one or two players and are worthwhile for teams to take, but with all of these you're taking a risk because you have to be able to come in with a, there, there are no guys who are legit plug and play wherever you need. Um, you know, these are guys like all system guys. You got to know if you're drafting them, that they're going to fit your system and that you have the personnel and coaching around them to, to get the most out of it. And you have to know that you have to expect that you're going to have to deal with the problems that you'll deal with. And this is very much a value thing about positions. So you take a look at somebody like John Michael Schmitz at center. Um, or even Joe Tipman, who has a ton of physicality and traits, but might have a couple questions. Now, those are guys who I think are, especially Schmitz, is more pro-ready than what you see on the receiver board. However, in terms of positional value, receivers are always going to have a greater positional value than centers. So teams are going to have to balance, do we want a safer pick at a position that might not be as important for us, or 
do we take a risk on a receiver now, see if we can get those other positions there because the top of the receiver market always dries up quick. And teams are going to have to figure out their own boards and their own drafting strategy based on that. This draft does have a lot of depth, though. I, even though I struggle with a lot of these guys, especially as earlier day one picks, the day two depth is awesome. There's, you know, Tyler Scott, A.T. Perry, who's a favorite of mine. I like Marvin Mims. I saw a highlight reel of him. Yeah, Marvin Mims. He's he can a, fly. I had him uh, coming up on my list right after Mingo. Marvin Mims, Trey Palmer, Rasheed Rice. I mean, the depth in this class is really the meat of it. But, um, you know, we're always looking for those top guys, and they're just not really here this year. All right, so who's your fifth? Round out the wide receiver class. Yeah, so my fifth is Josh Downs out of UNC. Uh, I have him sneak in right above Jalen Hyatt. Um, And the reason for that is Josh Downs – his question is about where he can impact plays outside of the slot. He's on the smaller side of things, another one kind of in that 5'9", 5'10"-ish range, but he has a ton of speed. He has great feet. Steve Smith um, praises Downs over and over. He, uh, Steve Smith's comparison for Josh Downs is Santana Moss, and I think that fits pretty well just based on them being of diminutive statures, a little bit on the leaner side, but being able to win um, by having incredible footwork. I mean, Downs is the sort of player who's going to burn through those ladders. Um, but with his size, is he going to be able to make plays outside of the slot? Because he was a slot-only guy in college. He doesn't have the size of the ability to play in the slot in the NFL full-time. Um, but his deep speed is real. He's great with a cut. He can separate really well. So, again, this is the sort of player that we're talking about. I mean, he's another one that even at 5'9", he broke out a 131-inch uh, broad jump, which, if you recall, was uh, you know not that far off from a lot of other guys who are much bigger and meant to have um, size. I, Josh also does a very nice job with the ball in the air. Um, he's on the smaller size, but he still has a 35-and-a-half-inch vertical. So it's not as if... He's only playing, you know, balls close to the ground. Um, It's he's someone built in that Rondale Moore sort of uh, player, maybe Darnell Mooney. I think it's another good comparison for him. Um, But we also see a lot of guys at that size um, flame out. So I think he's someone who's worth the risk, especially his footwork is really his uh, best attribute, not just the speed, but the accuracy with his foot placement. And it just feels so natural watching him play. Uh, and, and the last thing I'll mention with him is his toughness, because it's it's there. He, he's taken some good licks um, over the middle playing in that slot. He's unafraid to go up with his body on the line, trying to high point. Um, you know, so he, he's someone that I'd really consider um, in that, you know, top of the second type area and someone who I think is going to be a pretty solid pro. Was it tough for you to put him over Hyatt? Yeah, it it was because what Hyatt has in terms of his deep speed, I mean, he ran a four, four flat with an ankle injury at the combine. Um, Hyatt just has so many questions. He has the trump card in that speed, 
and he's remarkable when it comes to tracking the ball. But Hyatt doesn't break tackles. He never faced press. He can't impact the game without those deep plays. He has very has had a very limited showing of route running ability. But you don't see his quickness show up in other areas either. Without that, you'd hope that in other ways they use him that you'd be able to see it more. But in the very rare instances where they actually gave him the ball on a jet sweep, he ran way more fake jet sweeps than anyone I've ever seen. Um, you, you don't see it. You see him just trying to be a burner. And it appears that's where his game is at at the moment. Um, despite the fact that, and, and this is one more piece that I will add about him that I think is impressive and really speaks to his character, is that they ask him to run streets, uh, send him on nines over and over and over, and he's able to do it over and over and over. And sometimes it almost feels like he's just tired out the defensive backs by making them sprint with him over and over like that. Um, the deep speed is really real, but also his endurance, I think, is really impressive. It's just you have to question based on the film, and that's most of what I'm going off of, uh, how he can impact the game when he's facing things that he never had to face in college because he was in motion and in stacked receiver sets, so they never really had to put him against press. How's he going to do when he has to rely on quickness, when he has to start building out a route tree, and he isn't able to impact the game solely through making those deep plays? This class to me is just, it's so intriguing because a lot of these guys sound like I'd feel more comfortable taking them in the second or third, but you know some of them are going to go, I mean, Smith and Jeeba is definitely going to go in the, you know, probably mid first, I would guess. Mm -hmm. The rest of these guys, it really does come down to value. I, I, again, I think of a team like Frenchie, I know you and I have talked about it a lot, the Giants. It's like they, they have a needed receiver, but. I feel like center or corner is much more important to them with the prospects that might be there than one of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I just in terms, I'd feel more comfortable taking the, you know, seventh corner than the fourth receiver at this point. Just mm -hmm. in terms of the grades, I mean, but again, it's how you're able to see them, and teams get so much more information than we do. You know, if let's say someone like Jalen Hyatt is able to go into um, you know, the team's private workouts and pro days and everything like that and show, like, here's the way I've been improving my footwork and here's how I run these different routes. And, oh, you have a corner in, let's see how we can match up. And you know, all those other sorts of things that we don't get to be a part of, um, that all the teams have that information that can make teams feel a lot more comfortable. But it can also allow teams the opportunity to write guys off their board when they bring them in for top 30s. Um, you know, someone like Jalen Hyatt and Jordan Addison, um, they, as well as Zay Flowers and a couple of the day two, three guys, I think have gone into the Giants um, for top 30 visits. Uh, frankly, I think Addison is the best fit in terms of um, the sorts of players that Kafka and Dable have used and um, this, what that team, you know, really needs. But, um, you know, it's, I think more than most years, the wide receiver draft board for every team is going to be substantially varied. And that's it's part of what makes football so great. You know, if we talk about this with the NBA, it's 
strictly best player available because he just find a way to work, make it work with the guys on the board. But, you know, here it really is trying to put the pieces together. And, you know, if we compare it to a puzzle, you know, there's no corner pieces here, but it's about just making the right guys fit for what you need. Tom, do you have any other final thoughts on this wide receiver class and the French five here? I think there's going to be some some surprises in the later rounds, and they might end up being, by the way you make it sound, they may end up being better than the guys drafted higher. We just don't know who they are yet. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no standouts, so there's no bona fide studs. Uh, I'm ready to move on to halfbacks. Damn. All right. We'll save fullbacks for later. Yeah. <laughs> um, Quick note, Hunter Luepke from North Dakota State, definitely going to get drafted as a fullback. Watch out if San Francisco wants to move out from the aging uh, Kyle Juszczyk, but, you know, here we are. Um, running back, super easy. Bijan Robinson, arguably the top player in the draft. Um, he's in my top four, which I really think is the elite tier of this class um, with a quarterback, Will Anderson, Bijan Robinson, and Jalen Carter, barring any of the off-field and, frankly, on-field coaching issues. Um, Bijan's agility, quickness, speed, all those things, you know, really burst. But the more you watch him, I think the really impressive thing is his balance throughout, through all of it. Whether he's accelerating, whether he's decelerating, whether he's coming off of a missed tackle or trying to push through, his balance really sets him apart because he it makes him that much tougher to bring down. Um, his strength and the rest of that plays a great role in this as well. But really, it's the fact that he's able to maintain that strength by keeping himself centered um, and really just driving his feet constantly. His pass protection as well is pretty adept, especially for someone, you know, coming out of college in general, um, but especially as praised as he is for all of those other areas of his game. Um, he's really impressive in pass protection as well. Um, the only quick things that I talk about with him is that route running, if he's, despite the fact that he has pretty good hands and is electric with the ball in his hands, we're talking more Saquon than McCaffrey in terms of route running. You know, really what you're going to be looking at is him as an outlet, put him on flares, use him on screens, things like that. You're not going to move him out into the slot, have him run routes. Um, and occasionally he can get to be a little too patient, but usually his patience really pays off for him. Um, the only thing that I'll add with him, other than you know general questions of running back value, is in the pre-draft process, he only took two visits. Uh, one with the Buccaneers, who were picking at uh, 18, 19, late teens. Um, and the other one with the Eagles, who pick at both 10 and 31. Um, so which of those they might have been bringing him in for. Yeah, Tampa Bay's a 19. Um, it, it's something to ask about anyway. Um, but it is reported that the question, uh, Bijan said this, that Howie Roseman asked him, uh, why should I pick you at 10? So, I mean, if Roseman's bringing that up to players, you know, I, I would have to think you're not going to hold that carrot in front of a guy just you know, as a joke or something to throw out and let him answer for it, just as a one-off. But um, Howie Roseman's as calculating and careful as anybody. And so 
Um, but I, I did find it fascinating that he was only taking two visits this pre-draft, and it was with the Bucks and the Eagles. I've seen him mocked as early as like six, seven, or eight, and as far down as 31 or early into the second. Oh, if you see him into the second, <laughs> a lot of teams better be trying to move up for him there. Yeah, I, I, I just think, again, that's more because of the positional value. Totally. Yeah, than I, him, but if you're that late in the first, why the fuck not? I'll tell you what, if he gets past the Bills, if he's still on the board, that would be devastating for Bills fans who ought to be dying for a legit running threat that's not named Josh Allen. Yeah. Um, but one early fit that I really like for him um, is in Atlanta, who picks eight. Because we know Arthur Smith loves to do that ground and pound. And while they do have uh, Tyler Algeiger from BYU, who was a rookie last year, and Cordero Patterson, Patterson can still be used in a lot of other um, ways. Great returner. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the sorts of things he can do as a receiver and a runner, a guy who can be a bit more of the power. But in terms of being able to really build a team on that uh, ground game, like we saw Arthur Smith do with the offense that he helped um, build in Tennessee, I think that Robinson would be a big piece there. And then you're also looking at, you know, no matter who plays quarterback, because uh, you know, there have been whispers about whether or not they're considering quarterback in this draft. But they've got their last few drafts have gotten them Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and if you add B. John Robinson to that, I mean, that is a top-tier trio of talent. Yeah, they just need someone to throw it to them and maybe and block someone, a little. And someone to stop the other team. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, this guy, this guy seems like an absolute stud. Um, Just we can't have the. For me, if I'm rooting for a team in the in the high draft picks, I just I don't want to see a running back taken in the top fifteen. I'm just very much against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, listen, and I think that's totally fair. Um, Just in terms of player to team fit, I think it would be a really good one. I also think, Frenchie, not to cut you off, but I really do also think it depends on the circumstance and totality. Like, when the Cowboys took Zeke, they Mm -hmm. already had a great team. The reason they were picking there was because their starting quarterback got hurt and they never had a backup and lost the rest of the way. That's a good point. Now, if you're the Giants, when you're a bad team, (laughs) that really fucks you up. Yeah, I guess you could say... I guess you could say the Cowboys' mistake with Zeke wasn't drafting him; it was giving him the big fat contract. But that's on the, the problem with. End. But Tom, to your point, and Frenchie, I know you're going to agree: is taking a guy in that first, you're going to have to pay them. You're, you're. It's a position where you don't necessarily want to give that second contract. Yeah. No, unfortunately, it's you want to you want to suck the life out of them in their first contract, and then try and replace them with another guy, whether it be an Austin Eckler type undrafted free agent or another first round pick. My rule of thumb is always you shouldn't draft that position in the first round if you're not willing to pay top dollar if the player pans out. Yep. And if, we, we, align on, we align on that. Yeah. If, if he's not someone that you would want to give a top-tier second contract to, then you shouldn't be taking him high. I guess if I was a GM, I'd never take a running back then. 
Yeah, I mean, take take running backs in you know third round. I'd probably never take a safety either. Honestly. Oh yeah, well hell yeah, that's even worse. Yeah, that, and that's what really started this with me was Jamal Adams was the idea of you know someone like that who's going to be able to play a little bit longer once top dollar. You just said like you're not worth it because of what you do. You're really good at what you do. It's just what you do is not worth it. Yep. Yeah, you just um, don't impact wins or losses more than other positions on the field. Yeah, right? I and, think. And I think the running back is devalued for a different reason just because you mentioned Tyler Algier. Where did he go in the draft last year? Guys like that. Pacheco. Seventh round, love Pacheco. Yeah, that's exactly my point. It's like it just mm-hmm. – I have a very hard time. And listen, B. John Robinson could be twice the player that Pacheco is, but I still think he's not going to make twice the impact that Pacheco would. Exactly, and that and that's where I talk about you got to take the most valuable player to your team, and not just go with this kind of easy line of best player available, because best player available is not really what anyone means when they say best player available. Of course, and Bijan Robinson, for most of the time when he's on the board, is going to be the best player available, but that doesn't make him the right pick for the teams who are going to be you know on the board regardless of whether or not they have a running back. Yep. Who's your number Uh, two? uh, My number two is also someone who, in terms of grades, is probably most boards I've seen, as well as my own, have him in that, um, you know, 25 to 40-ish range. Um, And that's Jameer Gibbs. He's an Alabama alumnus, maybe. I really don't know if they graduate. Um, (laughs) But he transferred from Georgia Tech. He's someone who is a really good runner and a great receiver. Excellent speed, the sort of speed that threatens you everywhere you are. Um, Really good balance, particularly when it comes to taking the corner on the edge. Does tend to break uh, runs wide and struggles when he's running between the tackles. He's someone who's probably going to be best suited for something more um, of a dual running back sort of role where you're going to have someone, I think, Someone like Tyler Algeiger from uh, Atlanta would be able to you know, be the sort of compliment that you want. But he's also the first player Nick Saban has had that has led a team in both rushing and receiving, which Gibbs did this past year. So really unique sort of talent, really good as runner, has great ability with the ball in his hand in space, but struggles a bit between the tackles and getting the tough yards. So if you have someone to do the dirty work for him, Maybe Brandon Jacobs comes back out of retirement, saves mm. the day. <laughs> you know, that's the sort of you, – you need thunder to go with his lightning. But he's really electric, um, just to keep the metaphor going a little longer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, again, we're talking – he's more – he's likely to me going to be in the second round, and that's about where I have him uh, graded. My next guy is Kendra Miller from TCU. Uh, who is six foot two twenty, but has a really good twitch. He also doesn't get caught from behind often, and he's he's almost clever as a runner. Again, it's another one, and this is seems to be a theme with the running backs that have really impressed me. And it's great balance. Um, Miller also, I think, has had his hand in the dirt more than most. He has a lot of plays where he's about to topple over, let someone bring him down. Um, on an ankle tackle and gets low enough with a hand in the dirt and just push through. Really grinds out the tough yards. Really good acceleration. 
and that lets him kind of use a lot of his body to his advantage. And, you know, he's a pretty thick boy for what he's got. Problem is that unless he's going into contact and aware of it, he does run a little too tall, where he's running under his pads instead of behind them. And as opposed to someone like Bijan, who, um, you know, has exceptional technique and pass protection, Miller has no clue. Um, really, in the passing game, he should be a last resort. He doesn't have much of a plan in pass protection. Um, and so if you use him in screens and as a last resort flare, fine. But um, he's someone who's really going to be limited in that sort of role. But he... He also is one of my favorite players to watch because of how often it appears that he wins based on will alone. And he's someone who I think is just is really going to elevate, um, you know, teams and just fit into the sort of locker room that people want, which is team first, power hungry, fight to the death sorts of players. And he, he screams a little bit of, uh, you know, Detroit Lions right now, but he's someone who I think would fit in a lot of places so long as you have a legit third down sort of passing running back role. I see him being a guy that gets you a couple of big plays, but also a guy that costs you a lot of negative plays. Mm. He's usually pretty good about, um, you know, going forward. It more gets stymied at the line. Um, that's more, yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean, where when you say he doesn't have a plan, you know, oh, with pass have... protection and even just catching the ball out of the backfield sometimes, I think he's a little lost. Yeah, he's he's lost there, but just coming out of the backfield, you know, ball in his hands as a pure runner, um, you know, he's he's got a plan there, and the plan is usually taking someone down with him. Uh, my number four guy is uh, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. He's another big running back, but Charbonnet really plays bigger than he is. Um, he's really good in pass protection, so he does have a third down role at least. His acceleration's only okay, but he's just based on his size and his strength. A lot of people are going to be needed to bring him down. However, he doesn't have much wiggle to his game, despite the fact that he can make a quick cut up the field. Um, you know, there's not much make and miss on the second level. And uh, it, in terms of the running game, he, he's got dick fingers. Little floppy dick fingers. <laughs> That's not uh, good. Uh, Lance Zerline actually gave him the comp of A.J. Dillon, which I really like, um, just in terms of size guys, downhill runners, you know, a lot of people to bring him down, but um, is going to just kind of like Miller have to be, you know, a little stymied in that role. Uh, Charbonnet is better in pass protection, but Miller has a lot more twitch to his game. So, again, they're they're basically the same graded player it's just more of a philosophic debate of which you want to prioritize and then the last guy i have uh in this top five is they have been a chain a chain the a train um out of texas a&m fast as fuck boy yeah his speed is legit when he was on the a&m track team his sophomore year he ran a 10.14 in the hundred jesus uh, christ yeah, like he's got legit track speed. But as we see from a lot of guys with legit track speed, they struggle between the tackles. A chain is also pretty small and very light. Um, but I think in the 40, he ran a 
4-3-2. Here it is. Um, he ran a 4-3-2 in the 40, which, I mean, there's basically, you know, CJ from Tennessee back in the day. And, uh, yeah, then it's him. Um, his vertical, mediocre, a broad jump, super weak. A lot of his other drills were pretty bad, but when you are able to run like that, I mean, people will always take notes when you have that kind of speed. Um, he's got really good initial burst. It's not just long speed either. His acceleration is awesome, which I think helps him a lot and kind of sets him apart in terms of um, speed guys. He has really good quick cuts, makes the first man miss, but he's light, he's small, he's almost always running from an option. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the A&M scheme. And I don't want to, you know, knock someone for playing in the scheme that works well. It just means that there's often one fewer defender that he would have to face. Um, I think he'd be someone pretty good in that Matt Breida sort of role, um, as they had him in in San Francisco. Uh, maybe Raheem Mostert is another one that um, kind of feels that way, though Mostert's a lot bigger and it. it James has still got room to go. Um, Pro Football Focus Compton with C.J. Stiller, um, which is a bit of a throwback, which makes me feel so old. Um, uh, another big plus with him is he had a 29% missed tackle rate um, in terms of how many missed tackles he forces. And that's just based so much of it is that immediate quickness that comes from that one cut. But when you're able to accelerate the way that he is, it means that a shoulder a shoulder tackle turns into an arm tackle really quickly. And when you have that sort of breakaway speed, it's, it's, I mean, he could literally, he's got damn near Olympic track speed. So when you have that sort of acceleration, when, you know, I said it with Hyatt and again with a chain, it's, it's a trump card. Um, and people will always have to account for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love burners. I'm, I'm channeling my inner Al Davis as much as you hate him. Listen, you know, all I'm saying is a good father would never let his son walk around with that haircut. It's It's tough, man. And that's coming from me. Yeah. I think on my deathbed, I'd probably tell my kid, like, come on, man. Shout out to Haircut Pete, by the way. Miss you. Yeah, he's a good good man. Yeah. He's a kicker. He paid for that. He tipped on it. I know. Yeah, what was that? Twenty ten when he got that haircut. Sometime around then. Poor guy, thirteen years and still dealing with that nickname. <laughs> only from you, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's the only way I remembered him. It's fair. Um, All right. You okay. You want to get sexy? Let's do it. Let's get sexy. Uh, my number one quarterback this year, Holden Ollers from East. No, of course not. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Tyson Baguette. Oh, man. oh, baby. Not Baguette. <laughs> I uh, wish his name was. I hate myself for that one. Um, yeah, I, listen. I, You've been talking long up, enough. I feel like you need to kind of just keep yourself sharp with some of these. Workshop them a bit. <laughs> well, Bagnay uh, actually has quite a quick release for someone who's playing in the D2 level. Um, you know, he tested pretty well, 6'3", 2'10". That's the sort of stuff that you're actually looking for for a player. His footwork is abysmal, but he has a really quick release. So, you know, as a, as a flyer, as a UFA, I think there's something to work on. But in terms of, um, you know, the top players in the draft, we're not looking at places like Shepard. We're looking at Alabama. Um, this one's easy. Bryce Young, 
if he was 6'3", we'd have him in the same breath as Trevor Lawrence in terms of top-tier players and talents and everything like that. Um, the real question with him is his size. How much, you know, kind of like what we had with Forbes a few weeks ago, um, how much does that number scare you? And that's what it's really going to come down to for teams when they're trying to decide this, or though in this case it really seems like team. Uh, you know, right after his visit with the Panthers, he canceled all of his other visits. So um, it looks like there's you know, some writing on the walls at the moment. But um, he's someone who has a really good processor and able to work very quickly through um, his reads. He's also great when he's working off scripts. You can see him routing receivers while he's escaping. And that's something that you don't often get from players who are also so consistent in his pocket, his accuracy and arm strength, both above average traits. Um, but really his poise is um, what sets him apart as, you know, as we get into those kind of top tier debates in terms of quarterback prospects. Um, I'd have him behind Lawrence. If we're going back to, we don't even need to debate about last year. I mean, all five of these, guys in my top five here would be the number one quarterback in last year's draft. Um, but uh, we would have, you know, if we go back to the Trevor Lawrence here, it'd probably be Lawrence and then Bryce, and then we'd get to Justin Fields and the rest of that list, or even, you know, my next guys here, but I can't give them away right now. Um, but I, I really think Bryce Young is, you know, the guy. Uh, now, one quick thing about his size, though, um, Bill O'Brien was his OC, now the OC with the Patriots. Uh, and he runs a relatively NFL system, despite relying, you know, a bit more on some of the college sort of schemes, RPOs and the like. Um, but with that, with Bryce, all of his interceptions were between the numbers where you have the most congestion. Now, that's something that appears on other players as well. And good reason, because that's typically where you attack the most. Most of your throws are going between the numbers, but it's also where there's a lot more congestion and I don't know how much people are going to, I don't think it's related to his height, but it is an interesting thing about how much um, safer his plays to the outside seem to be compared to him throwing the ball through the middle. Cause literally all five of his interceptions were between the numbers, um, which while not unique is rare. I think for me and Tom, I don't know how you feel, but there's some two comps, you know, undersized quarterback Tua was a great college quarterback he made some unbelievable throws mm -hmm. uh, Bryce is a fucking sniper from the pocket but you know to me is I really do have to worry about the kind of hits he's gonna take he did miss some time last year that's something that you know you hope it's nothing like Tua but you can't help but wonder about it yep and it, again this is this is what teams have to sit down and figure out for themselves because, you know, we could be looking at someone in that Russell Wilson sort of mold where, and we're talking about the good Russell Wilson, not the one he is now. Um, well, he does but, have some Russell Wilson comp, not to cut you off, but in terms of like, he's very left. good, like navigating around the pocket. I wouldn't say he wants to run, but he can, but no, he evades a lot of pressure. He has a really good feel in the pocket. He's been good at avoiding the bad, the really bad hit as well. And despite keeping his eyes downfield the whole time. So it's, it's going to be on teams. And, and this is the sort of thing that we don't often associate with them. But this is when you have to sit down with your medical staff 
and figure out how much of a medical risk that a player like this would be. Um, he's someone I would definitely want to bring in and have sit down with my medical staff, and, um, you know, the personal trainers and everyone who's involved to figure out what it would, how that body compares in terms of what it can hold up for the rest. Um, I, he also uh, he also weighed in at 205. I think Russell Wilson's, uh, when he was coming out a little bit heavier than that, I don't know how much more weight Bryce's frame is going to be able to uh, take on, but the rest of his skill set, I think, is so much, and it's not to say that the next quarterbacks aren't worthy, but Bryce is so far ahead from the other guys that I think the risk with his size still being what it is, despite that I think that he's the number one quarterback. One play that I think of constantly is that should have been sack against Texas, mm. that somehow he got out of that and ran, and I'm like, there's just not a lot of dudes who can do that. No, it, his instincts are remarkable, and his pocket presence is great. And at that size, it has to be. Right. Absolutely. All right, you're teasing us. Who's number two? Tease, I tease. Uh, see, see, I have uh, Sean's biggest gripe when it comes to quarterbacks at number two. I have an Ohio State quarterback, C.J. Stroud. <laughs> um, Sean's, got, Sean's got some data to back that up. Listen, and I'm not saying he doesn't. It's just, Actually, Frenchie, when you get to another prospect, that prospect might do something that causes me to hate him more than an OSU QB. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, I mean, it, it, and I thought that I was teasing the future of this pod. Here we are. Um, but Stroud, his natural accuracy is really impressive. Um, he does a good job getting back to his platform after getting on the move, but he's not so great if he has to be off his platform. Uh, his mobility in the pocket and just kind of mobility off of it is really important. Part of what, despite the size, really sets Bryce apart from Stroud is their ability under pressure, whereas Bryce is um, really poised in it. Stroud had a PFF grade of uh, 92.9 without pressure and drops all the way to 43.9 with pressure. If he can, if you can work with him and get him to um, work through that pressure and figure out, you know, what's going on either mechanically when he starts moving and the changes you can make in his footwork there to try and give him a better platform on the move um, or whether it's a mental block, in which case that's going to be even more work for teams. If you can work with that, I think he, he's somewhat reminiscent of Big Ben. But he also showed some mobility in the playoffs that we didn't um, see earlier, um, you know, when when they were in. Of course. But, um, and I think that sort of mobility is the way that he can keep growing. He's someone who's gotten some love. Another t- thing to take note of, if you all remember the Wonderlick, from yesteryear, um, the wonder falling out of fashion, and they have the new S2 cognitive test. And this is the new Wonderlick that um, teams are using. And again, it's it's another piece that teams are considering. I know too little about it to be able to consider it. I've watched some of the folks who work at S2 um, talk about it. I've tried to read some of the stuff on their blogs. I've yet to 
you know, get enough of an understanding. You haven't taken it yet? Uh, no. Uh, despite my many emails, they haven't sent it to me yet. Oh, sorry <laughs> to hear that. It's okay. I, I said yet. Yeah, it could still come. This is their busy season. Yeah. It's NFL draft time. I can't it's like tax them. season for an accountant, pretty much. Exactly. You want to talk to one in May? They've got all day for you. <laughs> um, but one thing about Stroud that I think is also noteworthy is the kind of resilience he has as a person. Um, his father currently is in prison on a 38-year term, and Stroud is still falling out and doing all of this. Um, his father was a minister and led his family of six. Um, and the church, uh, everything seemed to have fallen apart. His life was rocked, and some of this coming from the Sports Illustrated article about him. He's the youngest, um, and his high school years, he was one of four that were living in a small apartment together above a storage facility. They were nearly homeless, and despite all of this, no money for contact lenses. He had to play a game without lenses in high or without a lens in one eye in high school. He never had quarterback coaches. He learned to improve his game on YouTube. It, he had food sent to him from his high school just to keep him fed. Um, and these are the sorts of things that when we talk about the resiliency that people had, I even going into this, he went into his junior season of high school throwing about 50 pass attempts, nothing planned in terms of scholarships. I think he might have had an offer. Um, but in terms of his personal resiliency, that's the sort of thing that I think can win over a lot of teams. And it also demonstrates not the ability that he has shown to work through and power through things, but his ability to constantly push to grow despite the sorts of things that he's going to have to adjust to. Um, how that plays out, you know, comparing NFL life to these sorts of things, I don't want to get too into the weeds, not a psychologist, even if I play one on TV, um, but just to kind of speak to the, you know, resilience that he has as a person, um, not just as a player, because I, I think it's a pretty extraordinary story too. So that was why when Brady Quinn last week came out talking about how it rubbed him the wrong way that he didn't show up to a Manning Academy or Manning Passing Academy thing, Mm -hmm. or like never told them, I just felt was ill-timed and just a little just tone deaf. Yeah. You know, again, and, and I'm not saying that that didn't happen. I'm not saying that that's you know, that Brady Quinn's wrong for feeling that way. But when you put together the story that you just told that a lot of people don't know, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know what his, what he was going through, what his family was going through. Maybe he didn't have his phone. Like who knows? Maybe then, they, maybe the phone bill didn't get paid and they didn't have a way to contact. And, and a- my whole thing is like for that to come out the week before the draft, I just yeah. felt was pretty low. I don't know if yeah. you agree on that or yeah, I, I think your word of tone death before, I think, was a really good choice. Um, for what it is worth, I will say that Quinn is reporting what he's hearing from teams. Okay. Um, so I think it's, you know, weak on teams to think that way. I don't want to crush him too much for saying what teams are telling him, um, if that is the case. Um, but yeah, I, I think that tone death is the right way to do it. But, you know... This is how people are sometimes. Look at us talking about Brady Quinn for the first time in how long. <laughs> yep. 
you've mentioned great, it twice now job. with Tom thinking that that was Mel Kuyper's guy and, and now and now his analysis on Strap. Brady yeah, Quinn's what, a fucking idiot, and I don't think he's a, a good analyst either. What a career he's had. You know, he gets confused for Jimmy Clausen and makes ill-advised tweets. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. <laughs> All um, right. <laughs> my, num- my number three guy, and this is where I get a little bit funky in my list. Uh-oh. Um, it's Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Ooh. Ooh. Another guy, by the way, before you go into it, Sean, he's basically 40. If you oh, use yeah, rounding. He he's, he's 25, right? I think he'll be 26 during the season. Yeah. It, it, which only means that if he's Tom Brady, he has another 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you didn't use the rounding rule. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. He has another 50 years to play. <laughs> which is basically a century. Well, you, you went the wrong way on that. He basically, okay. if he's 40, Tom Brady retired at what, 46? Yep. So he's got six years in the league. That's it. No, man. And, yeah. and six years is basically nothing. That's like five games. So and three if, of those years he won't play. So, so yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you want to reevaluate, you can. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's our expert, Tom. Come on. Um, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see how well. He's I, an expert on this. He's not an expert on the rounding rule. That's oh, true. Yeah. You and only you are. <laughs> I just wanted to enlighten him. I'm no expert on math, but I appreciate having you around for it. Um, yeah, so Hooker loved his deep ball. Uh, his ability to lead guys, um, especially in deep passes, is really impressive. His short accuracy is very good, but his intermediate game is um, the hardest part to master, and it shows that it's suffering right now. But the next three guys all have something pretty similar in terms of um, their accuracy and the issues that can come with it. Uh, Hooker really tries to throw all balls with the same sort of velocity, and I think that um, if he's able to work on that, it would be able to allow him to make better plays uh, in that sort of intermediate area of the field. Um, outside of the numbers in particular, he only threw 13 passes this past season between 10 and 20 yards outside of the numbers, um, which is really low. And those are areas that you have to be able to hit in the NFL. And a big part of that is that he played in a really gimmicky sort of offense. So you're taking a guy who played in that sort of offense with really good weapons and Hyatt and Tillman, who are both going to hear their names in day one or day two. Um, But he's someone who also, with a clean pocket this past year, had zero turnover-worthy plays, and only five without a clean pocket. So this is something else that um, you know comes through. He's really good at protecting the ball, in addition to being able to, you know, really drive it downfield and leave it lead his guys into the end zone. I mean, Hyatt doesn't get to show off how great that speed is if he has to backtrack for the ball so much. You know, Hooker's putting it right in the breadbasket for him every time. He's, you know, I say in the breadbasket, but Hyatt can actually catch with his hands on like some others. Um, (laughs) Another thing to mention for Hooker is that despite, you know, his because of his, you know, advanced age, um, he's been in a lot of different offenses. So as teams have been interviewing him, it's apparent that he's had a lot of uh, interactions in a variety of offenses supposedly he's the best interview that a lot of teams are having. Um, and that's positionless. He's 
one of the guys who's supposedly killing the circuit, especially with um, his ability to retain knowledge and draw up plays and different things like that, even in offenses he doesn't use. But for me, it's really his ability in the deep game, still able to connect and really move the chains in the short game, um, having the ability to develop things in the intermediate, which I think are places that he can develop and just aren't areas that his offense hit a lot, but being able to avoid those turnovers um, when he's protected well and also just having very few times where, you know, you'd be looking at it as, um, you know, without a clean pocket, it's what raises him above the other two guys for me. Are the other two guys, are we going to get another surprise here? No. They're there? I mean, yeah, I feel like this after hooker kind of falls off a cliff. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, it, it, I think Young is really at the top of everyone's board. Stroud, in terms of the rumor mills, and we don't know what's fake and what's not right now, but it appears he's really taking a slide at the moment. You know, you look at the comments that Peter King made and his mock draft in other places um, about Stroud dropping. And, you know, we always hear that lazy stuff of low IQ because he scored so poorly on the S2, you know, intelligence exams or whatever. Um, but, it, it's it's really the same five for me. I think that Stroud and Young's tape really sets them apart from uh, the other guys because they're able to show just accuracy at all three levels consistently. Whereas, you know, Hooker, Richardson, and Levis don't have that on their tape. In addition to, um, I think with each of them, there's still a good amount of room for growth. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's peaking you know, in their early 20s, or in Hooker's case, his early 40s. <laughs> he finally figured it out. Yeah, I, I'm catching up. Um, but the next one I got out of uh, Richardson and Levis, I've got Richardson a little above Levis, uh, Anthony Richardson out of Florida. And with these two, we're really talking about projects based on extraordinary athleticism and natural talent. And I think Richardson, despite having less experience, is – uh, the more toolsy and traitsy guy right now. His athleticism is ridiculous, built like a tank. Like the Cam Newton thing is real, but Cam Newton, um, his game was far more refined than Richardson's in terms of the way that their bodies are built and, you know, playing quarterback like linebackers, they've got that. And, you know, he he can, from his knee, whip the ball 80 yards over a mountainside, I'm sure. But, and you know, part of this is Florida did not have great receivers and didn't make his accuracy look much better. There was not a lot of separation on that team, but Richardson really spent a lot of time trying to make um, so many of those hero plays, sloppy footwork, 13 starts. Um, His accuracy drops heavily under pressure. His accuracy without pressure was 60.4%. With pressure, it was only 38%, uh, which is uh, bad bad that's the word uh, <laughs> he also has that colin kaepernick thing where his arm only knows one speed he only throws fastballs zach wilson uh, yeah another one but zach wilson you know throwing uh, <laughs> um, you don't have to worry the, about him tom anymore he's out of sight out of mind baby he's one still more, there one more thing i'll say about out of sight him. out of mind his <laughs> facts though Stop bringing him up, and he will be. <laughs> um, one more thing with Richardson is that he really is used to the spotlight. 
um, Netflix had a series called QB1 Beyond the Lights that he was featured in. Um, so he's used to having a bit of the attention on him. He's young um, too. Yeah, he's in, he's he's the opposite of Hooker there. I mean, I, I mean, basically Anthony Richardson is still in high school. Yeah, if you want to use the rounding rule, good job by yeah, you there. There's no other way to do it. I he's mean, basically um, 15. <laughs> I mean, he, he's basically getting ready for prom. No, dude, he's getting ready for like junior prom, but he's getting asked as a sophomore because he's an athlete. Mm, nice. If you yeah, if you really want to think about it, I mean, yeah. I'm looking up Cam's measurables here from the combine. He ran a much faster forty than him. He's about the same weight and only one inch shorter. He's this guy's a freak. Yeah, and a forty and a half inch vertical jump, ten foot nine broad jump, and yeah, just to throw out the numbers, four four three in the forty, which is just insane. Um, he's someone who I think you're going to have to build the offense around him, but the talent is there and it's, it's worth developing. Um, whoever's going to do that again, you, a lot of the development is going to be based on what he does without a coach looking over his shoulder. It's going to be breaking down the film at home. It's going to be all of the reps. Nobody sees. So you got to be comfortable with the person. I, I, I don't know him. Um, you know, I, I think that, the way he talks about the game and things like that, he very well could be that person, but it's up to teams to be able to vet them well enough to know it. And then the last guy who actually in that process of team vetting him has had a few more questions is uh, Will Levis, who apparently has had some quote unquote personality issues. Now I know one of those personality issues and you know, I take exception to this. Now, Tom, you're a coffee drinker. Frenchie, would you like to explain why I have him so further away than an OSU quarterback? Well, I think you should. You, you know what? You're right. I'll do it. Um, You're yeah. the expert. You do it. Yeah, this I think might be the most important stat about any uh, any prospect is that Will Love is is the only person coming out in the draft who puts mayonnaise in his coffee. I'm gonna hang up. Puts. Mayonnaise in his coffee. Now, where's he from? He could be in prison. I immediately thought it was disgusting. Then I thought, for some reason, it feels like he and Jim Irsay would get along. Just knowing that and nothing else. Maybe he's from Massachusetts too. I th- yeah, I thought he'd be. He's a Connecticut. He went to. Didn't he go to school in Connecticut? No disrespect, but I thought he'd be like a Mississippi kind of guy with that kind of taste. I mean, maybe he thought it was milk one time, or maybe he was out of milk, and he was just looking for another white topper for his coffee. His hometown on uh, NFL.com, he has his hometown listed as Madison, Connecticut. Yeah. Really? I'm looking at uh, PFF right now, and it says... (laughs) You fool. What did yeah. it say? It said he's from Newton, Massachusetts, just outside oh, of Boston. The place they named after the pigs. <laughs> but <laughs> mayonnaise in your coffee? I don't even want to talk about him anymore, honestly. I don't care what you <laughs> have to say. You, Seriously, no, you. this is... I, I, I was going to leave that for the end so we can talk about his actual abilities first, but so I wanted to get in the important stuff. He's got it, a big it is arm. most important. I, I think, listen, you told the story about Stroud's, you know, his his early life. That's some. That's a story we want to rally around. The rest is gravy. We can worry about it later. What's the opposite of rally around? Protest? Okay, this is something that I'm out. I'm done. I, I'm, you know, I'm done. 
maybe it's just uh, although maybe it's just one of those things where it's just so just so crazy you know it kind of makes you wonder no no it doesn't <laughs> you know like um like a bacon well, and peanut Tom, butter sandwich i don't know Tom, i'll tell you what why don't you try it tomorrow morning and when we come on the pod you can let us know how it went i don't By even the like way, i don't even Frenchie's like philosophical <laughs> question for today i don't even like i don't like mayonnaise on like like I just don't like mayonnaise, period. On like <laughs> things that mayonnaise goes with. I Was like he like suggested this? Did he do it on his own? I need Who more suggested this? That's my question. When Who is he hanging around with? His now. circle could be dangerous, Frenchie. I don't know if I trust him. Well, if it was a relative, I mean they should be put in jail for for child abuse. What are we looking up right now? Who taught him that? Uh, that was my quick Google to see, <laughs> to see if there's a... Who taught Will Levis how to be stupid? What did he score on his C2? Uh, I'm pretty sure he got his name wrong. <laughs> Didn't even get the point. He spelled yeah. it with one L. It's like the SAT there. Oh, man. Whew. I've heard enough about this guy already. I know he's got a big arm, <laughs> but... I mean, um, I don't. There's nothing and else. I just, I just found an SI article about um, him talking about putting mayo in his coffee. Could you be? Could you imagine if you were the guy? Like, oh, I got assigned to. I got assigned to talk to C.J. Stroud about you know his tough upbringing, whatever. Oh, I got assigned to find out why Will Levis puts mayonnaise in his coffee. I'm just, I'm just thinking of being like at the gas station or like just pulled over or like at a diner restaurant, it's like. Do you want cream or sugar with your coffee? Um, no, but do you have any extra mayo that I can get? <laughs> so apparently it was, uh, he, he was with his girlfriend. They got their breakfast. There was no cream, no sugar or anything else on the table, just a bottle of mayo. She made a joke about it, and he said, maybe, let's try it out. And he's very clear to say he does it more to get a rise out of people, but it, quote, didn't taste half bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know, man. So, oh, I believe it's, uh, he says his real coffee order, he uses almond milk and stevia. But now he's the mayo in his Oh, coffee. so now he's also a pussy. Sorry. He didn't stand by it. <laughs> you want to uh, talk about character issues. Stevia. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, let's talk about him on the field. We've had our fun. All right, fine. Um, dude has a... He's got a cannon on the arm. Really good on the move in terms of the um, strength on his throws, especially. He's a pretty strong runner, good strength with it, and uh, zip to get it through everywhere. However, his accuracy is poor. He really has, like, you can watch him strain to try and drop the ball where he wants. He really only hits between the numbers. Once he gets outside the numbers, the only spot outside the numbers between behind the line of scrimmage, short, mid, and deep, is short to throws to the left. He went 5 of 18 with three touchdowns, but all of the other numbers outside of the numbers behind the line, deep, middle, and then short right, were a combined 23 of 53 with one, one touchdown, three interceptions. And for someone who has a massive arm, his deep right throws were the worst of any area on the field where he went one of 12. 
So what is what is attributable that to that for you? Is that the wide receivers he had to work with? Is that his processing? Is he just erratic with his arm? Combination of all three? Like, what are your thoughts I, there? I think it's more about being erratic, but especially his. In addition to his arm being erratic, his footwork can get pretty erratic as well. Um, especially when he tries to go down. And this is something you see a lot with guys who have just natural arm strength that they don't work on the rest of it because they expect their arm to be able to do everything for them. And so these are some sorts of things that you can work on, but, you know, he's so far gone that aside from hitting one area short left, that you try and get him to throw outside of the numbers, you're missing a hell of a lot more than you're getting right. It's a pretty big leap that he's got to take in terms of accuracy um, to be able to um, take those steps forward. Now, He's the, he has pretty similar numbers when he's under pressure and not. Um, and strangely enough, he had more turnover-worthy plays when he had a clean pocket than when he was under pressure. You know, And that could go back to the sort of overthinking and different pieces that go there and the natural athleticism that's able to carry him outside of the pocket. Um, but he's also had the uh, privilege of playing under two guys who are – NFL offensive coordinators, Liam Cohen and Rick Scangarello, um, both of whom I think come from under the Shanahan system um, and I think under McVay as well. And I know Cohen did. I don't know about Scangarello. Um, but he, he's played in NFL offenses. He also transferred to Kentucky from Penn State where he couldn't beat out Sean Clifford, who will be lucky to be drafted on day three of this draft. Um but, you know, sometimes all it takes for a lot of these guys is a change of scenery to really be able to um, show what you can do. So, Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow also, he, he was struggling to beat out another top 10 pick. It's a little No, I, I get that. But again, a change <laughs> of scenery, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got that change of scenery. But really for Joe Burrow, the thing he needed more than any was opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, so uh, for Levis, I think he was able to show a lot, a ton of talent. He was better last season than this year, and sure, he lost a couple guys, but the Kentucky team is not bereft. It's well-coached. It's got a lot of pieces. He's really in that Josh Allen effect, um, and people forget, as often as we throw around, oh, he's like Josh Allen, um, people forget how many more Jake Lockers there were than Josh Allen. So I was just going to ask you, is he more – Jamarcus Russell or more Josh Allen? He's not Jamarcus Russell. I mean, with the with the arm though, Russell. I mean, he uh, had a cannon. Yeah, if you want to talk about like just the traits, yeah, yeah that's what it, I'm talking about. Not everything in terms, else. In terms of the traits, he's built more like that. But um, Jamarcus Russell didn't flame out on the traits. Jamarcus Russell got a tape that he brought home, came back the next day, said he watched all those third down packages, and the coaching staff sent him home with a blank tape. Yeah, Jamarcus Russell could have been that if he gave a shit. Okay. Um, but Lil uh, Wayne also that said that Jamarcus Russell drank more lean than any other person he knew. Just saying. <laughs> and that's coming from Lil Wayne, who almost died of lean a couple times. So. Well, now that is something too. Fun fact. Uh, you, but Oakland has to be the best place for struggling with those sorts of things to go be a quarterback. <laughs> go play for the Raiders. No issues there. It's not like they're always getting into trouble with that stuff. True. Um, but yeah, and I think we'll... But can you tell me time. what's worse, mayo and coffee or just drinking lean? 
Because personally, it, it, I'd rather drink lean. It's certainly not at your Marcus Russell doses. I don't want to. <laughs> no, I'd be but, dead. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that's a bit. Will Levis apparently very high Q, high IQ football and off field IQ. Doubt it. Um, but he apparently is coming off too cocky, a bit Baker Mayfield attitude ish. It's going to be on teams to figure out what they want. But right now, he's the fastest riser. Uh, Hendon Hooker was the biggest riser for the last like two months. But in the last week, it's really been Will Levis, who's being rumored to be the favorite quarterback for the Texans, the Colts, a couple other teams who really like him, even the Titans, who are apparently torn between Levis and Stroud. So, um, you know. And Which we'll means Malik of- Willis isn't even in the picture, huh? Oh, no, no, no. They're yeah. apparently pretty fed up and done with him. Um, so, you know, what did he what, do? I know. Apparently he just didn't play football. Well, no, I thought maybe it was some extracurriculars <laughs> and, or just not putting no, the effort I, I in. Think that, <laughs> I think they're just looking at the end of Ryan Tannehill. They think that they can get a pretty big upgrade from Malik Willis. And, you know, with any of five of these guys, it would be, like I said, any of them would be the easy QB one by a mile compared to last year's draft. But, um, you know, that doesn't, necessarily mean all those guys are going to flame out and it doesn't mean all these guys are going to be great either it's just um taking the traits the talent and yep. production that you've seen trying to project all right i've been holding this question in since before we got on the pod where does my boy caleb williams rank amongst these guys early early he, picks he, oh he would be fighting with bryce young for top yeah, I agree. I think he beats him out just based off skill and everything. And then obviously he has the true size where Bryce yeah, Young is a major good. question mark for that. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing um, how Caleb Williams tops it next year. Because that's always what they're looking for. And even Drake May would be, he would be probably fighting C.J. Stroud in that sort of area, be a top 10 pick for this. Um, you know, Drake May, if he was in this class instead of, Caleb Williams could easily be the number quarterback taken. I just think the draft process is interesting, right? Like the season starts and we're going to critique every pass and every game and the record that he has. And then we're going to go into January through February through the combine and be like, you know what? I don't really give a shit about any of his stats. He's still amazing. He's got all the intangibles. He's got the talent. We can't possibly pass on him. Mm-hmm. Yep. It just happens so often. Yeah. And, you know, this is how it goes through so much. Um, and to me, this is why I find it so fascinating. The way that all of these things start going back and forth and trying to balance out everything that you hear with what might be true. Um, and, you know, everything from the philosophy of how to understand different positions to the psychology of trying to figure out what motivates different players to just the almost chess-like you know, game trying to make the pieces fit and turn them into something productive. This to me is, you know, what makes all of this so exciting. I'm just looking over, I'm just looking over a couple of recruits here that I got to ask Frenchie about. All right. We have more time. We do. I'm just trying to find out if, if I should really plant my flag when I enter the transfer portal after Caleb leaves with Tennessee for my guy. Oh yeah, for uh, yeah, that's true. You gotta know. Yeah, I gotta know. It's uh, it's Nicholas. Whatever. Saw a highlight tape of him. 
Tennessee commit four-star, but I think he's the best quarterback in the class. I don't know if you've got your eyes on him yet. I don't know if you're a big high school guy, but I'm, I'm kind of deep in the weeds with the high school recruits. Nicholas, uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've mentioned him on the pod before, but I still haven't been able to pronounce his name. Oh, uh, is it? Imala, Imala, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nico, Imala, Olivia, something like that. Yeah, they call him Nico, yep. Yeah. Better than Arch yeah. Manning, in my opinion. <laughs> Fuck Arch Manning. <laughs> As Sean plants his flag in Austin. Not <laughs> even a little bit. Uh, no, he... I don't do a ton when it comes to some of the recruiting, but I I try and make sure that I'm at least paying attention to the guys worth paying attention to. Um, his arm is wild. He, he really attacks the quarterback position. And I think that's what makes him such a fun prospect to have that kind of arm talent. Um, getting his feet aligned is going to, you know, make a big improvement for him, but just based on the arm talent, the way that he can attack downfield, you know, he always seems to kind of have his foot on the gas to press through and the talent to be able to make those plays happen that other people don't have the chance to. Um, no, he's, uh, he, he's he's worth planting a flag. Good. I'm glad my eyes aren't deceiving me, and I've still got it, you know? And you called this early. You were an early commit, Tom. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, I committed once he did <laughs> to my transfer, but I still got one more year at SC for Caleb. I'm a, I'm a free agent. I figured if Sean's going to be an absolute fraud and root for Alabama, I'm just going to be an absolute. By the way, I'm if just we're gonna... on this pod, you know who got me into Alabama football. Well, well you're both you're both for did you neither of you guys went to Alabama, right? Have either of you ever been to Alabama, the state? So before I was born, my family lived in Alabama. Um, my dad was uh, military for his career, and so before this was pre me. Um, but after they came back from Dusseldorf, my brothers were eight and twelve, and. They lived in Germany for quite a while, and then when they came back to the U.S., they lived in Huntsville, Alabama for a while. And so they were there for years, and that's how they became Bama fans, because Huntsville is in Auburn territory, but my dad is a shit-talking potster. So he would dress his kids up in Alabama gear and take them out to, like, the, um, you know, all the, the spots on base to watch the game and everything. And people would give him shit, and he'd be like, guys, guys, my kids are here. <laughs> um, so, so that my family has been Alabama fans since the eighties. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Dad, for his service, and and that's cool. And that's cool, but it's still, yeah, I mean, it still doesn't pass the board. I just sent it in for review. They got back to me so quick, so quick well, as the czar of this. I'm the leader, you, and I have a board, and they just rejected that and said you're still a fraud. You let me know how your application with Nico goes. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a free agent, so I'm just entering the transfer portal every time I get a chance, you know. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> so, I mean, your fraudulence is a little bit less than Sean's, though. Sean said, "Mine has always been." I've just said I I enjoy watching them play, and that's the only co- I've never had a college team growing up for football. So, yeah. Well, and that's the problem is you know you grew up in Connecticut. Yeah, you- honestly, I think people that say they're UConn football fans are frauds too. Yeah, Name two players on that team. I dare anybody that says they're fans. <laughs> I can't. I no, can't. of course not. I think UConn is a fullback that's in the league right now. 
UConn actually sneakily has a decent amount of NFL players. Like they, they, I feel like uh, Frenchie, our boy Matt Parrot. No oh, man, <laughs> poor kid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, we're about two hours in. We got one pod left, Frenchie, and that's going to be Ooh. the big doozy. Oh, I can't wait, man! Uh, I have literal goosebumps. <laughs> so that's so that's too bad we don't have a video pod. Uh, so that's your that's your French five, and then your full yep. mock drafts my, for the Jets and Giants. My round sleepers, my late sleepers, and then we're just talking full on first round. The teams who don't have first round picks, and then seven round for both the Jets and the Giants. Now, have you made your adjustment two picks down for the Jets? Not yet. Yeah, you better get to it. Uh, the whole thing's about to get shifted, but luckily there's still a lot of night left. Yes, there is. It's only 10.30 East Coast time, so we did all right. Yeah, but I'm I'm going to work on this on West Coast time, so it's only 7.30. Well, you know what? Why don't you use the rounding rule? It's only 5 p.m. I mean, it's basically <laughs> not even today yet. <laughs> yeah, it's yesterday. <laughs> still the weekend. All right, fellas, looking forward to tomorrow. All right, man, thanks. Thanks as always. Everybody have a good night.